Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This is Robbie Kelman-Baxter, author of The Forever Transaction, How to Build a Subscription Model So Compelling Your Customers Will Never Want to Leave. And you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. Robbie Kelman-Baxter, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. How are you? I am great. What a gr- This is the most fun I've had all day. Oh, good, good. Well, you know, alcohol helps. And uh, I hope that uh, you and everybody at the house is, is doing okay. You don't have any uh, ailing folks, do you? No, you know, our whole town has, I think, fewer than 100 uh, cases. So things are feeling pretty safe here. And um, we have a new little garden out of the whole thing. So, Oh, now your town being Menlo Park? Menlo Park, yeah. Okay, in uh, Northern California. So I'm glad that everyone's uh, doing okay. And uh, you were the most one of the most recent uh, interviewees on the Marketing Book Podcast. And now... I get to talk to you again. Now, for background, people should know, because I did a little bit of math here, and I want to get full credit for this. You were on episode 18 in May of 2015 about your first book, The Membership Economy. And then you came back for episode 277, five years later to the month, May 2020. So given that cadence... I'm now holding April 2025 open for you because that would mean you'd be back on for episode 536. So when I last interviewed you, you said, Douglas, uh, thanks for having me on to talk about the forever transaction. Uh, I'll talk to you again in April of 2025. Well, how the tables have turned, huh? 
<laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's only been a, a little more than a month, I think, since we last talked. That's right. So now I'm not saying I you know need to talk to you every month, but uh, you know it'd be nice. But I don't I'm not sure how long this limited time series of authors in quarantine getting cocktails will go. But for those that I mean, there's always a new person listening to for the very first time. For those who have not heard your more recent interview, remind listeners in your own words a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a subject matter expert on subscription and membership models, and uh, I've written two books on that topic and have worked with literally dozens, if not hundreds, of all kinds of businesses and nonprofits, large and small, on building long-term formal relationships with the people they serve. And... I think it's always surprising to hear about companies that have subscription models, if not their entire business, they're offering certain things for subscriptions. And that's when I read books by you or Teens Woe or some of the other, uh, Ann Janser or some of the people that you know out there, all of whom have <clears throat> Stanford degrees, of course, who write subscription, these, these, uh, these kinds of books. They describe these companies that have subscription models and it's just, it's just amazing. So, Robbie, I mentioned Stanford. You have a degree from Stanford. Of course, more authors on the Marketing Book Podcast from Stanford than any other school. Um, you also went to Harvard. But enough about Robbie Kelman Baxter this time, okay? At this time, <laughs> I want to ask about your husband. And I'm so interested to learn that he went to Harvard and then he played professional baseball. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, my husband, Bob, we met on the first day of college. We lived in the same freshman entryway. Um, and actually, you know, <laughs> funny fact, um, the first week my new roommate and I were sharing a tiny little room and, you know, she, we were playing the game of um, if you had to marry somebody in our entryway, who would you marry? And she said somebody that she would marry. And then she asked me and I said someone and she said, no, you wouldn't marry him. You'd marry Bob Baxter. <laughs> And you, this was like week one of college. And you wrote that down in, on your to-do list? I, I didn't. I mean, I laughed. I was like, I would never, you know, he's an athlete and he's so different from me and he wouldn't be interested in me and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, then five years later, we were married and Bob was, was recruited by Harvard to play baseball. And uh, in his, well, he's actually, he was uh, drafted in his junior year, in our junior year by uh, the Yankees. And he didn't go because he wanted to graduate first. And then senior year, he was uh, recruited again. This time he was drafted by the Montreal Expos. And he played in their organization for seven seasons and then did a couple of other things, but um, made it up to, to AAA, uh, made it to big league camp one, one year. Uh, and we and had just a lot of adventures. He played in, um, in Canada and the United States in Mexico and um, two winters in the Dominican Republic. So we had a lot of really interesting and fun times um, traveling the U.S. and then to other places as well. Wow. It's so interesting. Now, wait, let's back up. You said he was so different from you. What, what did you all major in there? Well, funny thing is we both were English majors. Oh. Uh, so that's that's kind of funny. I said we're so different. And then I'm like, well, we actually have the same major. Um, but but and, and we have a lot of things in common, of course, too. Otherwise, you know, it would have been hard to stay married. Uh, for for this long, but uh, well, and, and one thing you have in common is your children. 
<laughs> yes, now we, we have a lot of things in common right now. We share the same last name. We share the same children. We share the same house, uh, the same bed, the same food, the, you know, lots of things that we share. Mm-hmm. But at, when I met him, um, he's, he's very quiet. He's very New England, stoic, um, you know, sort of socially, you know, more, more conservative, just a, a, a more, you know, I think stoic is, is a good word. He's from New England. He's Catholic. I'm Jewish. You know, I talk a lot. He listens a lot. Perfect. Uh, he, he grew up with brothers. I grew up with sisters. Um, it just didn't seem, you know, on the outside, like we were an obvious, an obvious match. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> seems, <laughs> seems to have worked out uh, pretty well. Now, you also sent me a clip of him playing baseball, and I'm going to include it in your episode's show notes at marketing, <laughs> marketingbookcocktails.com. That's different from where the marketingbookpodcast.com is. This is marketingbookcocktails.com. Uh, Robbie Kalman-Baxter, I am all in on this this cocktails thing, okay? So, in fact, you're drinking – I think you're drinking some uh, – some uh, local wine from uh, California. Yeah, so um, you know, I'm a I'm a membership person. This is Hovey Wine, H O V E Y. Um, it's made up in Murphy's, California. It's a small producer, um, and uh, a good friend of mine uh, lives up there. She actually moved up to live a kind of different kind of lifestyle after living in Silicon Valley, and the, now she lives on this beautiful big uh, farm, Vita Buena Farm, and. She does weddings and stuff up there, and she has been helping out these friends of hers who own this winery. Um, and so, my husband and I become members, and uh, we love their wine. So, oh wow, uh, yes, you know, wine. Well, uh, I'm, I'm wine. looking up the website right now, and if you'll give me a few minutes, I'm going to go ahead and uh, subscribe because you never know when you're going to run out. No, I'm kidding. It's hovywine.com, <laughs> and we're going to include yeah. links to that at marketingbookcocktails.com because I mean. You know, a lot of authors have been sharing the recipes of what they've been drinking or not drinking. And uh, so we'll definitely include that on your your, your show notes there. That looks, <laughs> that looks really uh, interesting. So, Robbie, since we last talked, what has changed in your world? Have you – I guess you haven't been able to travel quite as much. What, what other things have you uh, – what, what's changed and, and what things are you starting to notice? Yeah, so – so I think like most people, um, there were a lot of things that we were looking forward to that we weren't able to enjoy. And I, I sort of feel like if you ask, I, we used to have a joke in our family that if you asked, if you said to any person, boy, you must be really busy, they would agree with you. Um, and then they would tell, they would feel very heard and then they would tell you what they were doing, but everybody feels like they're busy. And it's sort of the same right now where if you ask somebody, boy, you must have really had to give up a lot. uh, Things have really changed for you because of this coronavirus. And I know you're disappointed. Everybody has a reason why they're disappointed, something that they've given up. Um, one of the things for us, you had alluded to this video of my husband, um, that, that video was recorded, uh, I think it's 25, is it 25 years ago or 30 years ago? Now 30, I'm be you said it was 30, 30 years, years ago. ago. 30 years ago last week. And um, we were going to have a big reunion and gather all the people that Bob played baseball with and all the people that were involved in the recording of that event. Um, and we weren't able to go. Uh, so there's lots of little things. But my book launch um, didn't happen. My daughter was supposed to graduate from college. Uh, she's still graduating. That's the good news. Uh, but not with the kind of pomp and circumstance and tradition and ritual uh, that she was that she was expecting. So so there's a lot of stuff like that that 
like everybody, I think we're, we're missing out on little things, but the big things are all fine. Um, you know, we have food on our table and everybody is healthy. Uh, in terms of what I'm seeing now, kind of six, seven, eight weeks into sheltering in place, um, there's lots of things changing. And in my world, in the world of subscriptions, it seems like companies are less hard hit than in a lot of other spaces. And a big part of that reason is the business model itself and what it does for customer relationships. It's about creating habits, loyalty, engagement uh, with the people you serve and trust is at the top of that list. So, you know, it's much easier for somebody to not do something in the future than it is for them to stop doing something that they were doing naturally that was a habit. Subscriptions are a habit. So I'm seeing a lot of my clients uh, and a lot of subscription businesses are actually having a moment right now uh, where, you know, their their customers are engaging more, new subscribers are coming in the front door and getting exposed to, to this new way of doing things. Um, so that's really sort of interesting and exciting to me. It kind of reinforces the the virtue of investing in relationships. Mm-hmm. And I should add that that video that I have that I'm going to put at marketingbookcocktails.com, it's of your husband and he was on candid camera and they were playing a joke on him. He was the pitcher. And yeah. <laughs> I just gave it away, but you, you really got to watch it because it's funny and he seemed to handle it quite well. Uh, but it looked like he was very flummoxed because the catcher was sending these signals <laughs> and it was completely throwing him off. But he never seemed to lose his composure. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's so funny because you know you asked earlier you know how I'm different from Bob and you know Bob is the most he's like a very serious person. He comes across as very serious and he's very kind and he's very even tempered. And the whole gimmick, the whole trick of this candid camera episode was to throw him off his game and. They couldn't do it. They they were expecting that what they were the, the the idea was let's have the catcher throw bad signals at the pitcher and then watch the pitcher lose his temper and you know have a little temper tantrum and start you know swearing and throwing things and screaming at people and Bob never did that. He just he just stayed calm and like the 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 host of the show was pretending to be the umpire and he came up and yelled at Bob to try to, you know, fan the flames and saying, look, pitcher, you better throw a pitcher. I'm going to throw you out of the game. And, you know, Bob kept saying, well, I, I will, I will. If he just, if the catcher just lets me, I, I will, I will, don't worry, I will. And he never lost his temper. And that's so classic, you know, why I, you know, one of the reasons why I love him so much is that he really is such a calm and, and reasonable person. So for all the right reasons, he was a failure at Candid Camera. Yeah. Well, it's been a very popular episode because people can't believe that he doesn't lose his temper. <laughs> oh, really? Well, it's either yeah. let's get him on the phone. No, I <laughs> <laughs> can you can you make him lose his temper? You know, I can make him lose his temper and his kids can make him lose his temper, but almost nothing else. Um, can do that. Yeah, it seems like the kind of thing you'd maybe want to do once just to see if you could do it, but then, you know, it's really not worth uh, trying to do it again. So uh, that's interesting about the subscription uh, models. And what's kind of funny to me is that I actually started going through some subscriptions to things, and I started dropping a few because I realized I wasn't really using it. It's it's like um, another aspect of this quarantine is is uh, what some authors have described as the big reset. And I started 
kind of examining everything and thinking about why are we doing that and, and what, well, you know, it's almost like uh, this quarantine has accelerated some changes that were probably already lurking and kind of gave me the excuse to, um, to move forward. In fact, I was talking to an author in Oakland, uh, Tara Nicole Nelson. She wrote The Transformational Consumer, and she had done some research. It was very interesting, and she said some enormous number of people were secretly relieved, meaning like 70%, because it was giving them the opportunity to get to certain things in their life or even yeah. projects that they had, had been putting off. So, uh, you know, it's like a neighbor of my, a friend of mine, he had always wanted to clean out the attic of his house. Next thing I know, he called me while he was driving in his truck to drop off all this stuff at the bulk waste center. And I just thought, wow, some people really are, you know, getting, getting things done there. So what effect do you think that this is going to have, if any, uh, long-term on what people think of, of marketing? Oh, that's a really good question. I think, well, there's, there's a lot of different ways, I guess I could, I could answer that. I think one of the things is that marketing happens after the moment of transaction as well as before, that you, that the, the organization needs to continue to build that relationship and continue to help the customer find ways to get value even after that first transaction. I think that's something that is that is changing now. And I think people, um, I don't want to say they're more suspicious of marketing messages, but they want to make sure that the rest of the company delivers on the promise of marketing. I think marketing is all about the the promise of what could be. That's why we sign up for these offerings that marketers suggest to us. And, you know, then it's up to the company to fulfill it or not. Does the, does the product deliver? Does the support deliver? Do the services deliver? And I think consumers and business customers alike are more um, more discerning about whether those things fit together. Yes, and that's just a great example of how subscription marketing is or should be teaching the rest of the world about marketing because it seems that whenever I'm talking to a company that's not on a subscription model, one of the first things I want to know uh, if they say they're having problems or they, you know, whatever – I want to know what they're doing with their current customers and are they even marketing to their current customers? Are they even thinking about their customers? And sadly, I don't know, maybe it's because it's smaller or medium-sized businesses, but it's, it's really an afterthought. And that's, that's really uh, unfortunate. And there's been a few companies that I've heard of, or at least the ones I've spoken to where they, you know, are thinking, what can we do? What can we do? And one of the things I've been saying is, well, why don't you reach out to your customers? Don't worry about trying to get more business right this minute. Why don't you just reach out and see if there's some way that you can sincerely help them? You know, uh, and I don't mean thank you for paying your electric bill. We're here for you. But examples of, of companies that are just thinking about, well, you know, what what can we do to do to help. Have you have you seen examples of companies that are um, trying to help? And actually, you know what? I think Zoom may be doing some of that, where they've made it. Um, they've they've altered their subscription a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I think a lot of companies are actually, there's a couple of things. One is companies are pivoting um, and layering in more, more value and different kinds of value to respond to the situation. So, for example, Zoom almost immediately um, after sheltering in place began offered educators unlimited duration of free uh, Zoom calls. Oh, that's what I was thinking of. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And, then, and then they layered in, they, they came very quickly to market with a bunch of new features around privacy and security. Um, you know, I, I recently had my first experience with a Zoom bomber, which is a, apparently a new term uh, of somebody that kind of parachuted into a Zoom meeting that didn't have a password that wasn't invited. Mm. And in this case, they, you know, started spewing all of this terrible racist commentary on the chat and, and the person that was hosting the meeting got them out pretty quickly. Um, but Zoom, you know, it's bad enough when you're a group of adults having a meeting and something like that happens. But with, with children and students being on Zoom calls, their security and privacy becomes so much more important. And Zoom came out with a bunch of new features um, to, to, you know, they came up with waiting rooms and uh, passwords and different ways of protecting the meetings, um, which I think was was really great. And the other thing you brought up about uh, marketing, seeing it as their responsibility to communicate after the point of transaction, particularly in a moment like now, is really important. Um, and giving people the opportunity to pause their relationship if needed. Um, so sort of saying, hey, wh what is your situation? Any company should understand the situation of their current customers um, and communicate with them. And then being willing to pause the relationship if the customer really can't use the services. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I heard about a company uh, in Birmingham, Alabama, that was a, they had like security cameras for businesses. And there were some shuttered restaurants that were getting burglarized. And this company found out about it and said, look, you're not one of our customers and that's fine, but it's breaking our heart <laughs> to know that yeah. your, your establishment, not only have you had to shut down, it's being burglarized. So they said, can we install cameras for you and just keep an eye on it for you and just leave them there? And if you're able to reopen at that point, you can decide if you want to be a customer. And if you don't, that's perfectly fine. We'll just need to come and pick up our camera equipment. And I just, I hear stories about that. And, you know, it kind of fills my heart with, with hope. Yeah. Well, you know, something that's, that I found really interesting is just, I think eight or nine months ago, the, the business roundtable, you know, this global community of the biggest companies, CEOs in the world, um, for years and years and years, they always said their major, and this is what I learned in business school, that their, their number one obligation was to their shareholders, the people who owned the company, the financial investors. I, I think Milton Friedman talked a lot about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and eight or nine months ago, they actually rewrote their commitment to include, to, to replace the word shareholder with stakeholder, to include customers, employees, as well as investors, and the community. And I think right now we're seeing who's willing to kind of put their money where their mouth is. Are you there just for your shareholders? In which case, you know, whole, you know, if somebody signed a contract never once imagining that there would be a global pandemic, um, but they signed the contract, make them live up to those, you know, those commitments, even if it makes no sense today, um, versus saying, hey, we owe an obligation to the best interests of not just our investors, but also people in our community, our customers, and our employees. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in my office, everyone vanished. Um, and I argue that it's because they wanted to get away from me, but everyone went <laughs> home to you know, work remotely. And, and actually one of the, one of my guys is, uh, he's had some respiratory issues. So I was really quite nervous, you know, concerned about, uh, how it might affect him. So everybody left and then, you know, we're doing our thing, you know, and, and really we're so fortunate to be in a particular line of work where we can pretty much do what we were doing, uh, at the office. And so then I'm thinking, Hmm, well, uh, now the office is, you know, collecting dust. <laughs> There's nobody there. <laughs> and the lease was coming up for renewal. And I said to the uh, landlord, I said, you know what? Um, I don't know what's ahead here. I'm, I'm going to have to let it go after all these years. And, uh, Oddly enough, he didn't say, Douglas, that's okay. You know what? You can also stop paying the rent. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he wants his pound of flesh uh, out of me, but, you know, but it was a, it was a long-term decision, but I, you know, I can understand that. And it makes me wonder about a lot of these long-term implications. I mean, we talked about subscription marketing, but I was talking to a client today that's in the uh, sort of the, uh, they, they provide uh office interiors where they provide all the design work, you know, the architectural work, the, the furniture and all that sort of thing. And he was saying that they sort of dodged a bullet because they had a lot of cash on hand, which they don't always do. And they had a bunch of big contracts, but he said, long-term, you know, we're not, not sure about what this does to the whole, um, you know, office interior, um, you know, kind of business. So it's, 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 yeah. uh, it's really kind of surprising. And I just makes me wonder, like, are there other things like I've been reading a lot about live events? What, what, what we yeah. think is going to be happening there? I mean, you must have had some speaking engagements either delayed or, or put on hold. Yeah, yeah. So, so in terms of live events, I've been expect, uh, impacted personally, right? Because I had, I mean, I was supposed to go to Paris and Washington, D.C. and New York and Vancouver and Columbia um, to, to speak. Um, and, and then, of course, to work with clients because I, I, you know, I, most of my clients are, are not right here in Silicon Valley. Um, so I was definitely impacted by live events, but also I have clients that are, you know, professional associations that depend on conferences and theme parks that, of course, require large gatherings. And, you know, the NBA, which clearly depends on people gathering and coming into contact with one another. So, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot with my clients and with organizations is, you know, what is your forever promise to your customers? What is it they're really coming to you for? It's not the product. It's not even that live event. It's something else, something bigger, a long-term goal that they have. So, you know, in the case of your um, office design client, you know, maybe their promise is to create great workspaces so that people can get better work done, right? And if that's the promise, one way of delivering it is by designing you know, public offices, shared offices. Another way of doing it is designing those spaces in people's homes. You know, I've been hearing all these sort of funny stories. Um, you know, I have this one friend who's been trying to figure out how to get permission to get back into uh, her office so that she can get her chair because the chairs that she has at home are not very good. And she has a really expensive, ergonomically sound, you know, fancy chair at her desk at work. And she's trying to figure out how to get it home. Um, you know, and then my brother-in-law, uh, my husband, Bob's brother, uh, is in Hong Kong. He works in Hong Kong and he was saying how they're on a, they call it red team, blue team right now, where, um, 
half the office is red and half the office is blue and they take turns using the office so they can kind of have more social distancing. But his admin, his assistant, uh, is, is team blue, but she doesn't have air conditioning in her home. So she's sneaking in for team red also <laughs> because she wants to be there all the time because it's a much better environment for getting her work done. So I could imagine that her employer, if this is an ongoing thing, might find it in their best interest to engage someone like your client to do their best thinking, but in the context of this woman's home. Yeah, right? interesting. How do we keep her working at home? And, you know, very few people have comfortable workspaces at home. Uh, among, the, I mean, not people like you and you and I who work at home a lot of the time, but people who generally go into an office, they need help designing a workspace that can be as productive as their shared office space. Yes, that's very interesting. Well, I will certainly pass that on to him. He's been talking about how they were actually teaming up with an IT firm to help introduce more safety into the workspace in a number of different ways, like security as well as cleanliness. And yeah. Well, hygiene is critical. You know, there are these companies that do hygiene. Um, I was talking to this guy who runs a hygiene, a chemical hygiene company that advises manufacturers on, you know, which what kind of PPE, what kind of protective equipment do their factory workers need to handle the various chemicals in the production process? And you can imagine, and then they also say, so they say what PPE you need, and then also are there other chemicals that can do the same function but with less of a risk to your to your employees? I can totally imagine this going into play at every restaurant, every school, every theater, every amusement park, um, every airport. Um, there's tremendous potential if you follow that promise, which is we want to make it easy for people to get their work done, or we want to make it easy for people to be inspired or for people to feel secure, um, as opposed to focusing on your existing products, focus hmm. on the mission. Yes. And that's like one more example from your book and, and your line of work that uh, even if people don't have a subscription model, they can... Uh, they're going to be much more successful, and that's the forever promise where it seems like the subscription model companies are forced to understand what it is their customers are really buying. And spoiler alert, it's not really your product or service. Right, exactly, exactly. And this from, you know, you asked, what does this mean for marketing? I think in many cases for marketing, it's an, as a marketing team member, it's an opportunity. You know, when I worked in marketing organizations, you know, we were often frustrated that we might take the blame that, you know, hey, nobody's signing up for our product. And we as marketing would say, yeah, because we're, we're leading them to the water, but, you know, they don't like the way the water tastes. You know, they don't, you know, what do they say? You know, they're not eating, you know, they don't, they don't want the product. And so, you know, we're starting to see that marketing can't work in a silo. That, you know, I worked with one company, um, it was a streaming content company, and they called me in originally because they said, um, we're having trouble with retention. Our retention team is really bad. And Oh, really? We, yeah, <laughs> there wasn't the product? Well, they, well the, exactly. I mean, you're, you're jumping to the punchline, right? They, the problem was, you know, first of all, the marketing team was, their whole marketing campaign was around one title of one piece of content you know, sign up with us and get access to this piece of content that you can't get anywhere else. And you can watch it, by the way, in two hours. And by the way, they had a 
month-long free trial. So people were joining, watching that one awesome piece of content and then canceling before they ever paid. Mm -hmm. So that was the first issue. And the retention people were getting blamed for that. Second thing was when we said, you know, what are the reasons that people cancel? One of the reasons was that during a really important live-streamed event, the technology didn't work. And so everybody got booted out of the sports final and they didn't get to watch it. Mm. So people canceled after that, right? Is that the problem of the retention team? No, that's the problem of the technology team and the product team. And then the third problem was they didn't have a broad enough selection of content for people to stay more than just a couple of months. It was really easy to consume everything. And so what we're, what we're realizing more and more is what marketing's always known, which is all the pieces fit together. If you don't have a great product, if you don't have great support, if you don't have great infrastructure, marketing can promise things all day long. But if the rest of the organization is not delivering on that promise, you know, people aren't going to stay and they aren't going to pay. Absolutely. And there might have been a day when you could churn and burn these people and they wouldn't be able to tell everyone. But now most of what's said about a company or their product or their service, most of what is said is not by the company anymore. Uh, so, you know, uh, people can't, uh, they can't uh, hide anymore. So it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting, but Robbie, let's be honest. It's still marketing's fault. Come on. You know, it is, it is fire the marketing guy. Right. That's my recommendation. Um, I, I remember one time I was at a company and I was in the interim. I was, this is a while before my book came out and I was working as an interim head of marketing for a tech company. And I remember he said, um, he was cutting the whole marketing team and he said, Look, I'm done cutting fat. Now I'm cutting bone. <laughs> proud of that? Uh, well, I mean, it was, but marketing was the first thing to go because in his mind, he was like, well, I have to keep building the product because if we have no product, nobody will come. Mm -hmm. But I said, look, if nobody comes, who cares if you have no product? Or you have a product that was good three months ago. What about if we keep selling that and that generates revenue? But it is, I mean, marketing is often the first ones to get blamed. Right. Yeah, of course. So, well, uh, in uh, marketing's defense, sometimes if you are able to demonstrate the, what the customer is experiencing, you know, like I can remember years ago, um, you know, video camera, stopping people in the street or, you know, whatever it was, just sort of some sort of documented proof of what people are experiencing or even just um, when a high-level executive is forced to uh, – you know, become a customer and they realize how messed up it is, uh, that can sometimes uh, get get people's attention. So I don't know. I don't know. Well, <laughs> are there any other um, things that you are going to be doing differently that's been brought on by this uh, pandemic and yeah. what's to think? I'm creating a lot more content. That's really? been a big change because well, I have a lot more time. I'm not mm -hmm. traveling so much. I mean, I spent a, you know, I've been a 1K United member and a premium, whatever, platinum level at American and Delta for the last five years. So I travel a ton. And suddenly I have all this extra time where I'm not traveling. And so I've created all kinds of video. I've been doing LinkedIn Live, um, so live streaming on LinkedIn um, and creating short form video. Uh, which is all new. And, um, you know, just like we described earlier, how customers are learning new ways of getting value from their existing vendors, I'm learning these new habits 
that I didn't have to do before because I could just communicate live. So I've been creating so much more content for my clients. Um, so that's that's been really interesting. Like I've learned how to do, you know, audio and video and live stream, uh, none of which I was doing um, six months ago, hmm. three months ago. Yeah, listeners, Robbie has so much time. She's talking to me. I mean, come on. Uh, you're my well, favorite person to talk to. <laughs> oh, thank you. You're so funny, and you're this whole authors in quarantine drinking co- getting cocktails is like, like I wish I thought of it. It's my favorite thing. Well, you know it's what? So funny. I appreciate you saying that, and I figured out why I'm doing it. One, I like the cocktails. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> don't get the wrong impression, folks. But. After this all started, I, looking back, realized I was consumed by this need to help or just do something, you know, yeah. and what, what can I do? And I heard from a couple of authors who said, hey, I've got some research about how dramatically people's uh, attitudes have changed, you know, consumers and all that sort of thing. And so I thought, well, you know, and plus, I guess even more so, I was hearing from listeners, some of them had been laid off. Suddenly they lost their marketing job or their sales job. It was just, oh, it really was upsetting. And so, and they were asking me very specific questions like, what should I be doing? What should I be reading? What should I be thinking about? And so I thought, all right, well, I'll just, I'll start, I'll start doing this. And that's when I sent um, an email to over 200 authors that have been on the show. And within an hour, I heard from you and over a hundred others who, who said, I'm in, I'm in. And, you know, the ones that went to Yale probably all said, I'm already drinking, but um, <laughs> Harvard Yale joke there. So, um, but I think that uh, it was the same thing. All these authors are just, they're wanting to help. They're wanting to do something. Obviously, they're all at their desks <laughs> answering yeah, emails. Yeah. So, uh, and we're lonely, right? We're all at our desks. And something like this is so just fun, you know, to talk to you and you ask great questions and to feel like we're sharing ideas and hope and inspiration and useful, hopefully some useful ideas, if not just amusement. Well, that's why I have the guests. The guests have the great <laughs> ideas. I have the stupid jokes, but they, you know, that's, that's my stock and trade. So yeah. Side point, I love the um, things. What is it called? Jokes I tell myself while I'm reading. I love that. I love that. Oh, there's one coming up from your book. Uh oh. <laughs> so what I do, what what Robbie's talking about is, as I'm reading these books, occasionally there'll be something on there, and I I just tell myself a joke, and I write it in the column, the, in the margin of the book, and then I'll often take a picture of it, and then I'll post it on LinkedIn on the weekends, and it just it's funny, it's funny, and to me anyway, and so there's one coming up, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you exactly what it's from. It's at the end of your book, in the acknowledgments. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, I read everything. Okay, also, so the listener doesn't, you know, so the listener's not missing out. Robbie can cook any breakfast food, okay? She can cook any breakfast food. She, if you want to talk breakfast food, you need to go through Robbie Kellen Baxter, okay? So that's just that. But that's not what I'm talking about. At the end of the acknowledgments, you said you, you made a very nice um, comment for your kids, and you made a, uh, a joke about how you're the cool mom. Okay, so anyone who's watched, the, I watch anyone who's seen the the movie Mean Girls with well, that's where it's from. I'm not like the other mom. <laughs> I'm a cool mom. Uh, One of my Fuller. favorite. So oh my yes, God. 
Amy Poehler. And so I wrote in the column, I never told you this, Robbie, but you know, the drinks are flowing. Come on. So I wrote, was she in Mean Girls too? Oh my God. Well, it's so funny because in that movie, Amy Poehler is wearing a juicy couture sweatsuit, which was like the height of chic at that, at the time that that movie came out. And my very, very cool daughters had, (laughs) you know, seven different colors of juicy sweatshirts and matching pants and one of the things that we've kind of joked about is you know that that line i'm not like the other moms i'm a cool mom <laughs> cool because mom. i'm not cool at all really i like i'm not fashionable and hip and i don't have like cute little cute things that i do or give or i'm not i don't like know the best nail polish color or the best <laughs> you know, way to highlight your hair or I don't like, as my daughter once told me, like, I don't drive a Range Rover, which is apparently what cool moms drive. And so then my, and my sister's just like me and she also lives in Menlo Park and we see each other all the time and our kids are the same age. And my sister is also not cool, although I think she's cool. And so we had this joke that like, I'm not like the other moms. I'm a smart mom. Oh. Because we're like, you know, you know, my sister, we both, you, you already broke the bad news that we both went to Harvard and we're both pretty nerdy. Oh, your sister and, went there too? Yeah, she was there. Her, my sister and my brother-in-law. So Bob's brother and Hill, Bob's brother, Tom, and my sister, Hildy were uh, there at the same time as Bob and I were there. They're two years younger and they were in wow. the same class and they were good friends. And I mean, there's a lot of funny things about that. And there's a lot of funny things about Harvard, which is not at all cool. And when you tell people you went there, you do not get a cool factor at all. <laughs> right. And Right? People are like, oh, so you must be really, really nerdy. And, um, you know, so one funny side story about my sister is that she and her husband went, um, I think they went to Club Med on their honeymoon. And she's, my sister is a really, she's really intense. She's very hard worker and she's really smart. She's very, very strong physically, but she was never athletic as a kid. And she's trying to learn how to do um, windsurfing. And the instructor at Club Med is saying to her, he's like this, you know, good looking buff guy. And he's like, he's like, it's so easy. Just what you do is you just, you know, and he has some kind of like European cool accent. He's like, you just stand up on the board and you let the wind go into the sail and then you are riding on the wave. And my sister is like struggling and she's like, I could kick your ass at a math bowl right now, buddy. And, you know, like, (laughs) so we're like, we're not like the other moms. We're like the nerdy moms. Well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Yes. (laughs) Not like the other ones. In fact, in that movie, Mean Girls, that she was one of the mathletes. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. She was a mathlete. And that part of her is what I identified with. I was never, I was never one of the, you know, cool girls, you know, on Wednesdays we were pink. I did, it didn't even occur. I mean, we could go in a lot of directions on this, but, you know, another mom was Let's recently telling me. Let the healing begin, Robbie. I know, I know. Well, this is hard. I mean, I'm like, now you're getting like, I'm lying down on my, um, on the couch and I'm telling you, I'm going to tell you about my mother in a minute, okay. but. <laughs> well, your mom must have done pretty well because she had two daughters or two children, or are there others, other children who went to two of us, just the two of us. Harvard. Okay. And, yeah. and we have the mom, we were joking because yesterday's Mother's Day and people all, and my mom she lives in our town also. So the three of us, like all of our families are, you know, right nearby. And the joke is that whenever people find out who our mother is, they're like, Oh my God, I love, I know who your mom is. I love her. She's so great. You're so lucky. Um, can I, can I be adopted? Is there a room for a third daughter? Oh, so your Um, mom really was the cool mom. 
my mom, my mom had us when, when I was 20, well, when she was 21, she had me. So she was a very young mom and she was very cool. And she like, she would talk about anything. She would do anything. She had very few rules for us. And my sister and I took after our dad, who's a lawyer, VC, very uptight, not uptight, but very intense, very cerebral, worries a lot. He's not uptight, but he's, and Hildy and I, my sister and I were like him. And my mom is just like, I'm just going to see what happens. I'm just going to try it. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to say what's on my mind. And so, yeah, people love her. Well, I'm told these things skip a generation, so your kids must be really cool. Yeah, they are. <laughs> it's just this generation that's uh, struggling a little bit. Well, what are you going to do? Well, Robbie Kellen-Baxter, this has been so much fun. And I'm so pleased that I didn't have to wait another five years uh, to talk to you. <laughs> I do hope there might be some, some other books. Um, but uh, who knows? Maybe I just have to make up another uh, limited time series for the Marketing Book Podcast to be able to connect with you. And actually, I described this as a supplement to you. And I had never, <laughs> had it never occurred to me. So the Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails is simply a supplement to the marketing book podcast that that won't go away but uh, i don't know that how long i or my liver can uh tolerate this you know doing this um nearly every day but i'm having a lot of fun and robbie you are providing an enormous service to my family by talking to me because it means <laughs> that they get a little bit of time to themselves well the truth is, I could be talking to them, and they really are able to filter it out and, and not pay attention. And I'm, you know, I'm cool with that. But their, you know, their hearts are going out to you, and I do have a feeling. Running joke, they're texting you now, saying, "Can you please keep him? Can you please keep <laughs> talking to him for a little bit longer?" But at any rate, well, I hope that uh, you know things get back to normal at some point, and you get back on those planes, and. Uh, you know, but in the meantime, I hope that uh, everybody in your extended family in, in Menlo Park continues to stay uh, healthy and safe and reasonably sane. Thank you so much. <laughs> Welcome to our home. I just want you to know if you need anything, don't be shy, okay? There are no rules in this house. I'm not like a regular mom. I'm a cool mom. Hey, you guys. Happy hour is from four to six. <laughs> um, is there alcohol in this oh god honey no what kind of mother do you think i am <laughs> why do you want a little bit because if you're gonna drink i'd rather you do it in the house say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards tell them to oppose the durbin marshall credit card bill